just this is one of my uh, favorite scriptures here. Of course, uh, that's like saying, you know, which one is your favorite child? Uh, and so, um, but this is a story when Jesus was uh, had gone to the Pharisee's house to eat dinner there. And remember the woman had come in and uh, had poured the uh, anointing oil on his feet and was, you know, wiping it with her hair. And, and um, of course, the Pharisee got all offended, you know, oh, this is a sinner. And, <clears throat> and um, uh, <laughs> it's, I'm always amazed when people get offended, you know. Uh, and uh, just take a little small side journey. You know, I've seen Christians get offended at sinners. Do you ever seen Christians get offended at sinners? Um, you know, we should have compassion on sinners. That's our job, right? I mean, isn't our goal to get a sinners into the kingdom of heaven? You know, you should never be offended when a sinner sins, right? Um, and and, um, uh, and so, uh, it's. Uh, I mean, we could preach on that. For, put my pastor hat on there, and we could preach on that for a long time. But uh, uh, we're here to win the lost. Amen. Doesn't mean we, we, we don't recognize the sin. That doesn't mean we act like the sin doesn't exist, but we're supposed to have compassion on the sinners. Didn't God so love the whole world, right? That he that he gave his only begotten son. And so sometimes the church we need to adjust our thinking when it comes to the sinners, right? Because our goal is to get them into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and so Jesus wasn't offended at the sinner. She was a sinner. Uh, and so uh, he said he, he said uh, in verse, uh, this is Luke chapter 7, verse 40. Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say to thee. And he said, uh, and he said, Master, say on. Uh, and Jesus said, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors. One owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him most? Uh, and Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto them, thou hast rightly judged. Uh, and so, uh, so th- this one, this particular story uh, means a little bit to me because uh, when, when uh, Jesus asked the question uh, about who loved him most, um, and Simon answered it correctly, uh, and Simon said that it's, it's to whom he forgave most. So the question when you're reading this is where's the attention um, about who's doing what in the story? So, uh, and, and that may be kind of an a, a, a unclear question there. Uh, but the, the point of is, the point of this story is that Jesus forgave. Uh, and that's the point of it. Not that they sinned, right? Uh, because the focus is on that Jesus forgave them, not that they sinned. Because, uh, you know, when, when before I was saved, you know, I got saved when I was 15, so I really hadn't had a lot of opportunity to become a professional sinner yet. You know, uh, I was youngest 11. I saw plenty of my older brothers and sisters become professional sinners. And I was well on my way to becoming one. But I had, you know, I was still young and, and inexperienced in sin. And so, uh, but I was definitely had goals to be there someday, right? And so, uh, but I've had people kind of imply to me because I was saved young and I didn't get out in the world and sow my wild oats, so to speak, and do all these crazy things that somehow I didn't love God as much as they did. Because in their mind, uh, the one who loves God the most is the one who sinned the most. But that's not what Jesus said. He said the one who loved the most is the one who was forgiven most. Uh, and, and the thing is, if you understand how every sin is such a huge infraction against a holy and perfect God, and you understand how big forgiveness of even the smallest sin is, then you understand how big all forgiveness is. And really, that's where you need to be is that it doesn't matter if... if well, I've never murdered anybody. Well, I was never a drug dealer. Well, I was never a prostitute or whatever, you know, bad thing you can think of. I didn't do all of those things. Uh, but were you forgiven? Oh, yeah. 
you know, uh, the smallest infraction against a perfect and holy God is a great uh, uh, merciful forgiveness that we obtain. Uh, and so that puts us all on the same uh, level then, right? Because all of us have been forgiven most. Now, you may have sinned more than somebody else, but all of us have been forgiven uh, in a great way. Uh, and see, because uh, if the focus was on the sin, then, you know, if I did just didn't get around to sinning as much as somebody else, then I'm just limited in how much I can love the Lord. And that doesn't make any sense, right? Then somehow your sin allows you to love God more than my lack of sin has allowed me to love God. Amen. Now, I was well on my way to hell. I'd have gone, you know, I wasn't saved, so I would have, I'd have definitely uh, busted hell wide open. But I had a friend of mine, you know, he, he kind of always rubbed me a little bit because, you know, he was, you know, uh, uh, like a ranking general sinner, you know, when he was a sinner. And, um, you know, he, what, well, did you ever do this? Well, no, you know, never got around it. Well, what about that? No, I never did that either, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, he'd kind of make fun of me because I hadn't done a lot of those things. And I said, well, you know, the, 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 the thing about it is both of us were on our way to hell before we got saved. Uh, and then I would say, uh, you would have probably gotten there quicker than I would have, but we were still on the same path, right? And he might have if he hadn't changed and, and repented and accepted the Lord, amen? So uh, if you know how much the Lord has forgiven you, see, then you can love him in a big way. And that means all of us can love him in a big way because if we really understand how, how big the forgiveness of the Lord is, even for the smallest things we do, what it takes for him to do that because the blood of Jesus was there, it, it was required to forgive the smallest sin and the blood of Jesus was required to to forgive the biggest sin. So it's still the blood of Jesus in both ways. Right. Uh, and so 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 not that we want to glorify our sin. Right. And we don't want to brag about our lack of sin. Amen. The, uh, that was all before the Lord Jesus. And it's all under the blood. It doesn't really matter anyway. But um, uh, but it should keep us. We should never glorify in our sin. And, you know, and I have seen Christians kind of glorify that they were. Well, I was such a big sinner, you know, and, and um, okay, but what did the Lord do see you since you got saved, right? That's what I want to know. Uh, and so, anyway, praise God. So do we love the Lord? Why do we love him? Because he forgave us, amen? Uh, and so that, that was the whole point of that story. Then I think it's a great story there, amen? Well, let's stand and greet each other for just a minute, and we'll get into praise and worship. You're worthy of it all, Father. Worthy of all praise. Worthy of all adoration. Father, worthy of all worship. You're worthy of it all, Father. You've done great things, Father. Not just for us, Father, but for the whole earth. Father, we thank you. And we exalt you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yes, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for your kindness and mercy. We thank you, Father, for your goodness.
you're ex experiencing any pain or discomfort in any of your joints, if you'll come up here, I believe God would need to pray for anybody with any problems in their any kind of joints due to arthritis or really anything. If you'll come up here, we'll lay hands on you. Elbows and knees. Fingers.
Thank you. Praise God. The Lord is good. Amen. We appreciate His goodness and kindness. You know, we've been teaching on the anointing. It's nice to teach on the anointing and for the anointing to show up. Amen. And um, let's uh, open up our Bibles to the book of uh, Mark, chapter 16. We'll get started there today. You know, in teaching about the anointing, um, you know, historically it seems like it's only focused upon uh, in the area of teaching and the anointing that is only focused upon uh, ministers and what they're called to do. But the thing about, uh, and hopefully we'll get to it today, the thing about um, the anointing, which is just the, the presence of the Spirit of God who dwells in us, it's there for all of us because all of us as Christians are called to bring the gospel to the world. In fact, primarily it's the individual Christians, the sheep of the church, who are called to uh, win the lost, amen? The primary purpose of the ministry, which is the pastor, the, the, apostle, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, is to instruct the saints. Uh, now, when, when I leave this building, I'm a Christian like everybody else, so I have the same, uh, the same responsibility to preach the gospel to the lost, but I do that really primarily as a Christian and not so much as a pastor, although, you know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to split those two sometimes, and so... Um, 
Uh, and so really the, the point of us teaching uh, in this particular message is to encourage all of us that you have got the Spirit of God in you. And my goal is to instruct us in how to work with the Spirit of God because it's what it says right here in the book of Mark chapter 16 at the end of, of uh, uh, Jesus listening to things that he said, well, in fact, uh, we'll just read in verse 15. This is what Jesus said. He said, go ye into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. Who did he say this to? To the whole church, right? So the whole church is supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But, you know, the whole world would include your neighbor. Amen. Includes the person across the street, includes the person at Walmart, includes the person uh, in front of you or behind you at the drive through Right. Uh, and, um, you know, this may be news to some of you, but it includes the person driving slow in the fast lane, right? Uh, and, you know, they need the gospel preached to them for sure, right? Uh, and so they probably, some of them probably need to get saved. Uh, and so um, he said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. So notice he didn't say these signs shall follow only the ministers, only those that are called to these special offices. Uh, well, well, who in the church are supposed to be believer, believers? That would be the whole church, right? Anybody left out of that in the church? The whole church is believers, right? So we all have the capacity to believe. So these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. Um, you know, we, t- we spent a whole, uh, long time talking about the devil and his operations, you know, a while back. And we know that everything is not the devil. Amen. But sometimes you've got to deal with the devil. And um, I know when I was saved, I got saved kind of in the 80s. And in the 80s, everything was a devil, right? Uh, if your washing machine broke, it was a devil. Doesn't matter if it was 15 years old or not, it was a devil, right? You'd cast the devil out of your washing machine. Uh, and if you were in a bad mood, it was a devil. Well, you know, maybe you're just in a bad mood, right? If you were mean, it was a devil. Well, you ever met? You know, I remember as a teenager, I'm thinking, you know, I'm pretty sure that person's just mean. I don't think it's because they got the devil. I think they're just mean, right? Uh, and so, um, uh, so there, sometimes you've got to deal with the devil. Uh, and, uh, and if you do, you cast them out, right? They shall speak with new tongues. Well, that's talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit and uh, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Uh, I don't know why that's... Is that controversial in a church today? It is in some circles. It's not around here because that's what he said, right? They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So that's the great, we call that the Great Commission, right? That's a, that's a summary version of the things that the Lord desires the entire church to do, right? Not just the ministry gifts, not just those that are called to full-time ministry, but all of us. If you're born again, you're called to these things, amen? And you have the ability to do these things. And so he said in verse 19, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he received, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they, all of these people, went forth and preached everywhere the Lord working what? with them. And that, that's the key phrase right there, Lord, working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So uh, we, we as a church need to learn how to work with the Lord, not work for him. And we do work for him, I know, but we need to learn to work with the Lord. And at services like we had this, this, this morning before uh, the message here, we're praying for folks. But as we're praying, we're working with the Lord. You know, I mean, I have no inherent ability to do anything. I can lay hands on everything and nothing will happen, right? So it's only if the Lord shows up that anything will get done. So I have to work with the Lord. I do my part. He said, lay hands on the sick. Well, that's, that's great, right? That's what we did today. We laid hands on the sick. Um, and so anything wrong with laying hands on the sick? The great, the, the great uh, God in heaven told us to lay hands on the sick. Amen. And what is, are the results that we should expect? 
they will recover, right? Not sometimes, not maybe, not uh, he feels like it, not after the first century ended, it's all over. He said they will recover. But who does the, who does the healing? He does the healing. Do we do the healing? No, but what's our part? We lay hands. So, so we lay hands. He does the healing. What does that mean? That means we're working with them, right? So that's the whole point of, uh, as the church, we need to learn how to work with the Lord. You know, a lot of people work for the Lord, but they're not working with Him. And so, uh, and really, the whole point of this teaching is to teach us how to work with the anointing of the Lord, with the Spirit of God, with the, with the presence of the Lord that does all the work, right? We don't do any of the work. Uh, we can lay hands, but, you know, uh, I mean, uh, it ain't going to do any good unless the Spirit of God is there. Amen? Uh, unless He does His part, which is to heal. Uh, and so, um, that's the whole point of, of this teaching here. And uh, if you remember, we go back, all, go back all the way to Isaiah uh, chapter 10 there. In Isaiah chapter 10, uh, it says in verse 27, at the end of it, it says that, that the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Uh, and so um, the, the anointing, which is just, again, the manifest presence of the Lord, right? Anybody sense the anointing today? Anybody sense the spirit of God today, right? There was an anointing there. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of times, remember, he said in his word that he inhabits the praises of his people. So a good way to get the presence of God to show up is start worshiping him. Right. That's why we we waited to lay hands on folks until after praise and worship. Now, you can do it by faith anytime. Right. Uh, you don't have to sense the spirit of God. It's just easier if the spirit of God is there. Right. I mean, you can do it by faith. Uh, and, and, you know, we do plenty of things by faith. You can really receive everything by faith that you receive by the anointing. It's just easier with the anointing when the presence of God is there. So we, we wait. We know, uh, you know, my confidence is every time we worship the Lord, he comes and inhabits the praises of his people. He said he would. I expect him to do what he said he would do. Uh, and so he's here. So let's work with him. So that's why, you know, we don't have to do it. But we, we oftentimes will we'll pray for people after praise and worship because the presence of God is there. We work with him. We do our part to lay hands on people as, as he instructs. And then we, we expect him to do his part. Amen. And he says that the anointing shall destroy the yoke. So we talked about the yoke is just anything that's holding you back. Right. Anything. It's, if it's your past, if it's your thought life, if it's your physical sickness and disease, if it's your neighbor, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, your neighbor may talk bad about you. Right. Uh, you ever been held back because someone talks bad about you? Um, you know. Uh, some people uh, um, think that uh, because of what they think about you out there, that that's going to hold you back. But that doesn't really hold you back, you know. And, but sometimes, you know, you need to pray that through and get that confidence in your own heart. Uh, but, but a lot of times there are things that, that constrain us. And a yoke is there to constrain you, right? A yoke is, is the harness they put on, on farm animals, right, to, to, to direct their path, to make sure they go down this row if they're going to uh, plow the North 40 with, with oxen, you know. Uh, I thank God that he invented, uh, you know, gas-powered rototillers, you know, since then. I mean, it'd be tough to, hey, can I borrow your ox, you know, and, and go get somebody's ox and put it in your truck, you know. Now you can just borrow a rototiller, but uh, back here they had yoke that, that, uh, that controlled these working animals. And that's the point, purpose of a yoke is to control you. Uh, and it may control you, you know, in your anger. It may control you in your emotions. It may control you in your thought life. Uh, and there's a lot of yokes that... that people deal with every day, right? Things that control them. Uh, it could be bad habits. It could be bad thoughts. It could be, you know, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what it is. 
Does it say that it's only limited to certain yokes? No. So the anointing can destroy any yoke. That's the nice thing about the anointing. It doesn't matter what you've got that's holding you back, that's controlling you. The Bible says the anointing will destroy it, doesn't it? So that's a pretty good deal. I think it's a pretty good deal. Amen. Uh, and so uh, now the point is, is because we live in the New Testament, all of us have an anointing of God. Uh, and we're going we're to look at some of those things as we go on. And whatever you're called to do, there's an anointing associated with that. There is a presence of God associated with that. And what you need to do is learn how to yield to that. Amen. Learn how to work with that anointing. Uh, you know, for me, I, I'm anointed to be a teacher of the word. Amen. And all my life, when I came out of the womb, I, I've been teaching all my life. Right. I got out of the womb and I told the doctor, hey, you know, next time if you do it this way, it'd be a little bit better, you know. And, uh, and so just you people come out of the womb that way. You ever known people that just, you know, I mean, I've got three kids. The way they are today is exactly the way they came out of the womb. Amen. Now, you can twist that and you can get that where it's out of balance. You know, no doubt you can do things that uh, uh, that, uh, you know, kind of take you off course, you know, and so don't make an excuse. Well, I was born that way, you know, whatever, um, you know, you can, you can, you can, uh, pervert things and get them out of balance, no doubt, you know, but you know, however you created, you know, if you're just some easygoing, you know, then you're still going to be an easygoing person when you grow up. Amen. Uh, and sometimes life's experiences cause us to change that course and direction. But if we can find the path of God, we'll become that person that we've always been. Uh, and I've always been that person. I've always been the person that teaches. Uh, you know, I, when I was in high school, uh, uh, I, would, uh, I was really good at math. And so my math teacher would have me go over and teach the, the, uh, the, the younger students in high school, right? I was a senior. They'd have me go teach the freshman and sophomore uh, algebra, geometry. I think one uh, had me go over and teach in geometry. Uh, and uh, I didn't realize, you know, that uh, she was getting away with not doing her job, right? I was doing her job for her for no pay. That's a pretty good deal, right? And so, but, um, uh, but I've always been that way. Always been that way. I will always be that way until I breathe my... And, and if I'm smart, uh, I will learn how to work with that anointing. Amen? Now, it doesn't mean that every now and then, you know, the Lord will have me preach. You ever see me preach every now and then? I mean, every now and then I'll preach, you know. But for the most part, I'm a teacher. Uh, and, and so, uh, and that's okay. And I'm fine with that. Amen? Uh, some people are like, well, I want to be this. I want to be that. I want to be whoever I'm supposed to be. Amen. Uh, and you, you'll find that path if you'll listen. And so uh, let's turn over to Luke chapter four, because there's a point of that that, that is, I think will be helpful. Uh, and so we were in Mark 16 and we're in Isaiah. So let's turn over to Luke chapter four. Uh, we read this, but. Uh, so in Luke chapter four, Jesus said uh, but, uh, in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. So Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to, to do these things, right? He has anointed me to do these things. Uh, and so whatever you're called to do, you're going to be anointed to do that. So uh, what, what's one thing that, that's missing out of this particular list? Uh, uh, for some reason, I was just thinking about this and, and the Lord just prompted me, that, that uh, praise and worship is not in this list, right? Jesus never said that the Lord has anointed me to sing. Uh, and so in all the, the ministry of Jesus, did we ever see him lead a, uh, a, a, a worship service? Well, why not? He wasn't anointed to do that. He was anointed to do the things he was anointed to do. And that means he's not anointed to do the things he's not anointed to do. Amen. 
Now, could the Lord anoint him in a moment if he had to, if there was a need for it? He could, right? I mean, he, we see the examples like that in the Old Covenant where the Lord would anoint. The hand of the Lord would come upon somebody. And when we see that phrase, that means that the Lord, the Spirit of God, comes upon them to do something. Remember, uh, Elijah outran the chariot, you know, uh, you know, I'm thrilled when I go to the mailbox and come back, right? You know, uh, but if he anointed me to run, now my wife likes to run. She, she's a jogger. Uh, I like to call a taxi myself, right? Uh, and so uh, I'm anointed to call the taxi. Uh, not really, but, uh, you know, but she likes that. And, and so, but that's just really, uh, she's not necessarily anointed to do that. She just does that because she enjoys doing that. Uh, but now Elijah, we, we never saw him run any other time running, right? Was he a runner? Was he was he in the Olympics or anything, you know, the, the uh, Jerusalem Olympics or anything, running? No, but I mean, if you could outrun a chariot, that'd be pretty good. Uh, you could probably break a few world records if you could outrun a chariot, right? Uh, but he was only that one time was he ever anointed to do that, right? Every time else, he was just the prophet Elijah, and that's what he did, was he was the prophet. Uh, and so, but generally speaking, whatever you're anointed to do is what you're anointed to do. Uh, and, and we should learn that uh, as a church because sometimes... Uh, and, and I have seen this where people get anointed and they think, well, I'm anointed to do everything. And I've seen people who are anointed to preach uh, and they thought they were anointed to sing and they couldn't sing. Anointed to teach and they thought they were anointed to play an instrument, but they couldn't play an instrument. They thought they could. And, and you know, and, and because nobody wanted to tell them that they couldn't play, you know, then, then they were up there playing an instrument and not doing a good job at it, thinking that because they're anointed to do this, they're anointed to do that. Some people that are anointed to teach Generally, you're not anointed to preach. People that are anointed to preach are generally not anointed to teach. Now, that doesn't mean that God couldn't use you on occasion for those things, but you'll find a, a general path in your life that, okay, generally speaking, this is, this is where I'm at. Uh, and, I, and I remember we had an evangelist that would come to our church every now and then, uh, years ago with my pastor. And one of the best evangelists, I mean, he'd get done preaching, you'd want to go preach to a stump, you know. You, I think I could get that stump saved over there. Just encourage you, right? It builds you up to go and do the work of the evangelist because all of us are called to the, to the work of the evangelist. Well, one day he got up and goes, you know, I just, I just want to be a teacher. And so he started teaching. He, you know, he used to preach you know, and, and encourage the people and edify the people and, and build them up to go and do the job of, of the evangelist. Uh, and, but then he wanted to be a teacher, and he was really a terrible teacher. He'd come up with crazy things, you know, God didn't send a flood and, I mean, all this stuff. And, and it's like... Well, we, you know, can you go back to where you were? Because you were really a great evangelist, but not a very great uh, teacher because you're not studying, right? And, and a lot of times people will get into an area that because they're anointed, that they feel like they've got to do certain things because they feel like people expect them or they just desire to do that. But if you're not anointed to do that, then, then don't do it, right? So uh, find out whatever you're anointed to do and be great at that. Amen. And always be open if the Lord needs you in a, in a, you know, if nobody else is available, he would probably anoint you to do something and, and may use you to do that. Uh, but don't feel like, don't get the mindset that if I'm anointed at all, then I'm anointed to do everything. Jesus had a very specific list here, right? We never saw him lead singing. We never saw him, you know, uh, running, right? He was never anointed to run like Elijah was anointed to run, right? So the, there are things that other people were anointed to do that Jesus never did. Uh, and so uh, we're not, are we diminishing Jesus at all? He's the one who said this list, right? Uh, and, and we saw him do all of these things in this list, but we never saw him do anything beyond this list. We never saw, you know, the, the things we mentioned earlier, right? So, so as a Christian, then, uh, we need to understand the, the work of the Holy Spirit. And we've taught the work of the Holy Spirit many times in our lives, uh, but uh, uh, many times in, in the church. 
but uh, we'll see how far we can get. Because uh, I don't want to go into all the all of that detail again, uh, because we've covered that many times here. But let's go over to the book of John, chapter one, and we'll start there. Because we need to understand uh, where is the presence of God, where is the Spirit of God with you right now. So if you're a Christian, He's in you right now, right? So He's in you right now. So that means that uh, that anointing is with you everywhere you go. And, and it's not required to feel the anointing, right? It's not required to sense the anointing. We like to sense the anointing, but it's not necessary to feel it, you know. Uh, some people only uh, operate by feelings. In fact, you know, I want, there was one thing I wanted to say about the, the Pentecostal church. You know, in the Pentecostal church, we've kind of gotten into the rut that we feel like that the anointing is measured by how much emotion is in the service, right? So if we're screaming and hooping and hollering, uh, then there's anointing, right? Or it's measured by how fast we run around the church. And if we run around the church, you know, three laps, then that's a really strong anointing, right? Uh, and, and we've kind of have, have gotten out of uh, what the Word says, right? I don't have any problem with hooping and hollering. I don't have any problem running around the church. I've run around the church many times, you know. I've, I've taken out several music stands, you know, running around the church, you know, and get out of control and you can't make the curve, you can't bank the curve, right? You know, and you end up taking out a whole collection of music stands and you just keep on going, hope nobody notices, right? And, uh, and uh, you know, we've all been there, done that. You know, maybe we haven't all been there, done that. But, you know, if you've been there, done that, it's okay, right? No, you know, we're not going to get mad at nobody for doing that. But uh, sometimes we think that if, if I can just express enough emotions, then that's the spirit of God, that's the anointing. But, you know, it really, if it ever works at all, it should work in the reverse. That sometimes the anointing of God can get on you so strong that, that you've got to dance in the Holy Ghost. You've got to run around the church. And that's okay, right? That, that's how it ought to be, that the Spirit of God can be so big in you that you just have to express it somehow, uh, either in word or in action. And that's fine. But sometimes we kind of get it the, the cart before the horse and we think, if I just go run around the church, God will show up. Well, he's, he's not, you know, he's not a performing little frog, you know, like the WB frog, you know, he doesn't just sing when you, you know, snap your fingers. He, he does what he wants to do, right? And if you worship him and do what he says, because he says if you worship him, he'll inhabit the praises of his people. So to me, okay, then, then, then I'm not tricking him, but I'm going to do what he says, right? I'm going to worship him and allow him to come. So, um, so the, the anointing is not measured in how strong we preach, how loud we preach, how much we spit cotton, how much we, we do the, hey, you know, I can't even do the thing because I'm not, I'm not a preacher, right? But, you know, I'm talking about, you know, that, that old preaching thing that, that people do sometimes. And sometimes we get in a rut that we think, that's God. That's the anointing. Now, it could be the anointing, but if, if we do that first and, and want God to back that up, that's not really how that works, right? Uh, that should be an expression of what's on the inside of us instead of, of us demanding God back up that thing with his presence, amen? Uh, and, of course, that's probably not a real popular thing to say, especially in, in the, 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 the very uh, heart of the Pentecostal world right here in, in, in Southeast, America, uh, Southeast United States, right? But it's still the word, amen? Uh, and so I don't see any of that where, you know, if I spit a little cotton, God will show up, right? Uh, he says he inhabits the praise of his people. So, uh, so just know that, that it's not necessary. In fact, you know, for me, uh, you know, in fact, I was praying for somebody one time and they, they uh, uh, asked for some prayer, prayer for um, healing. And so I, pray, I prayed for them, you know, and, and I got done. And I said, wow, I thought you would have been louder than that. And so they didn't receive anything because in their mind that the anointing was only there in the volume of my voice. 
And so if I'd scream at them or holler at them and push them down or something, you know, maybe they'd get healed. But, you know, I learned a long time ago that, that uh, if, if, if there's no screaming there in my heart, then, then for me to scream would be I'd have to get over into the flesh and really step outside of the anointing uh, instead of working with the Spirit of God that's in me. And if, and if I can just, you know, Jesus never... Now, sometimes he said with a loud voice, right? And when he called Lazarus out, he said with a loud voice. But that's rare. Most of the time he just rebuked it and sometimes he didn't even say anything. Uh, just picked him up by the hand and picked him up, didn't say a word, right? Uh, but we sometimes in the church, we get into theater mode, right? We've got to have a show. We've got to make it look showy and be loud and boisterous and, you know, in the name of Jesus. Well, the devil can hear you, the name of Jesus when you whisper, right? The devil doesn't need for you to holler at him to do anything, right? Uh, that's the way we were raised. That's the way I was raised anyway. Uh, people like Nancy weren't raised that way, but I was raised that way, right? Screaming and hollering, you know? Uh, and so... Uh, we kind of take that into the church and kind of get into theater mode in the church, and we have to kind of have a show and an action or, you know, uh, you know, Hollywood stunts in order to, to, uh, to get God to show up. And I saw that, you know, and you probably saw it too when back in the 80s. You know, uh, you know I was, uh, I guess I was 15, 16 years old at the time, uh, and, uh, you know, our church believed in casting out devils, and we loved casting out devils. I mean, we'd, we'd tie ducky tape, ducky to, duct tape to your chair until we got a devil cast out of you somewhere, right? And they'd scream at you and holler at you, you know, come out in the name of Jesus, you know? Uh, and, I, you know, I was watching all this as a teenager, and so I'd ask some of the adults, I said, why y'all take so long to cast the devil out? Because I was reading the Bible, and Jesus said it happened immediately. You know, you spent two hours casting a devil out, you know, and... and um, and they got offended at me. I'm just asking questions because I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I didn't know. I never read the Bible before I got saved. And I'm reading the Bible, and especially in the book of Mark. Immediately they came out. Immediately they came out. And we'd work them, you know. And, and you know, they got a hold of me one time because uh, someone found out that, uh, you know, when my dad died, you know, I cried at his funeral. Nine months later, my mom died. Well, I didn't cry at her funeral. And I just, some, somebody, I don't know how they, the conversation even came up. So I didn't cry at my mom's funeral, you know. Oh, you must be a terrible person. You know, she'd been sick for months, and, you know, I'd already kind of got to settle my heart. She's not going to make it, right? She's going to die, and, and I already kind of, you know, settled in my heart that, you know, she's not going to make it. And, and it wasn't like I was just mad at her. You know, just, it just, it didn't happen, right? I mean, you know, so, you, I mean, I cried at my pastor's funeral, and, and um, uh, you know, I cry, you know, old yeller dies, you know, you cry old yeller, you know, but, I mean, I, you know, I, there was no reason why I didn't cry. I just, I didn't cry because I didn't cry, and, uh, and, and they thought it was a devil, a not crying devil. I don't never heard of a not crying devil before, but, you know, so they sat me down at church, you know, come out, you uncrying devil, you know, uh, and they kept after me until finally it just, you know, I started crying and blobbing and snot going everywhere, you know, and, but I didn't have any less devil after it than before, right? There was no devils, but, you know, we were kind of like, uh, anybody involved in any kind of churches like that growing up? You know, y'all, y'all missed all that? <laughs> We can have some devil casting out services if you want to. I wouldn't make some things up, right? Come out of there, you bad dressing devil, you know, uh, you know, you bad hair devil. Uh, and so we can make up a few if you want to, but um, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, and so, uh, but they'd scream and holler at you till the devil came out, right? And you snotted or spit or, you know, turned your head all around or something. And, uh, and uh, you know, it was good training because, you know, I, uh, later on, as I got to know the Spirit of God and got to learn how to work with them, I realized that was just theater. You know, it wasn't real. And, you know, those, they were not bad people, right? They were sincere Christians. Uh, they just were never taught well. And they just thought that you had to scream and holler and cast the devil out and you had to have some physical manifestation to prove that it was 
that the devil was cast out. You know, typically, you know, you want to get one of those, those little airplane bags right behind the airplane seat, right? And then, and then toss your cookies and then that proved that you got a devil cast out. Because if you threw up, then that was definitely a devil. You know, it had nothing to do with what you ate or, you know, whatever. And, uh, and it was, it was uh, uh, you all missed a lot of excitement going back then, right? So uh, did you see any of that, uh, Corey? You've been around these, you guys, where have you all been all your life? And so, <laughs> uh, I know Jerry did so because he grew up in Methodist church. So, you know, uh, they didn't cast any devils out there, you know. But, um, uh, so, uh, but um, we'll, we'll just mention a couple of verses here and we won't have time to get into all this. But, but we got to start out with uh, John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to look at verse 9 because we, we need to understand how the Spirit of God is working in our lives today. And if we understand that, then we can learn how to work with Him in our individual lives, because that's what we want to do, right? We have to, first of all, recognize that He's there with us. He is, if you're born again, He's with you right now. Amen? Now, if you're not born again, you know, we can get you born again and, and get Him in you. But, but, uh, but uh, for all human beings, uh, Jesus said here, well, not Jesus, but in John chapter 1, it says in verse 9, talking about Jesus, that that was the true light. So Jesus is the true light, right? Uh, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. So, uh, th- and this is really important uh, because now we got to go over to, to uh, uh, Romans chapter 7. So um, just remember that John 1, 9 there. Let's come back over to Romans chapter 7. So this is Paul talking now here. And, and I'm glad that Romans chapter 7 exists because if Romans 7, chapter 7 did not exist there'd be so much pride in the church about how little sin that people do, right? Uh, you know, there are people who actually believe that from the day they got born again till now, they have never committed a single sin, not a single one. And, you know, they may have been saved for 80 years, right? They go, wow, that's really good. I am really impressed. I don't believe it at all, but I am really impressed, right? But they really do believe that because they believe if you sin, you've lost your salvation. So therefore, they have to believe they've never sinned. Right. So so the, the problem with their believing is it's inaccurate. Right. It's not accurate. And so therefore, well, they don't want to be to lose their salvation. So therefore, they just uh, lie and say they've never sinned. Right. Like, but I saw you cheat over there. I saw you be rude to that guy over there. I, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of people who claim that, you know, and do things that I'm not their judge. But I think it seems like you ought to repent for that one, you know. But uh, uh, and so Paul is talking here. Uh, he said, and we're not going to go through all of Romans chapter 7. I mean, I love Romans chapter 7, but uh, the key verse we want to look at is also verse 9. It says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So Paul said, I was alive. So, w- so when he was saying, I was alive, what, what, in what way was he talking about being alive? Was he talking about being alive physically? Uh, well, it's not physically because what he said when the commandment came, what happened? He died, so he didn't die physically, right? Because he's still writing the book, right? If he'd said he died physically, that'd been the, the last period there would be the end of the book, right? Because he'd been dead. Uh, so he's not talking about being dead physically. He's talking about being dead spiritually. So spiritual death is not uh, where your spirit doesn't exist or no longer is alive uh, in the sense of, of uh, it's buried somewhere. Uh, spiritual death just means separation from the life of God. The life of God is here, and you're over here, and there's a, there's a gap between you and you, right, between your, your spirit man and the spirit of God. Uh, and so uh, Paul said, I was, I was alive once. So uh, when John chapter 1, verse 9 says that God lights every man that cometh into the world, 
See, when a baby is born, they're born of the Spirit of God, right? The, the Spirit of God is in them. The, the, remember when God breathed the breath of life into Adam and he became a living soul in the Old Testament, right? Well, well all of our spirits, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he is the father of spirits. So every, every child that comes into the earth, their physical body is a result of the DNA of their parents, but their spirit is a result of the DNA of the Father God, right? The spirits of men come from God, right? It's not... It's not passed down from their parents. It comes from God. So that child that's born in the earth has a spirit that's alive unto God, right? Because God breathes that breath of life into that child when they come into the earth. So if that child, you know, for whatever reason was born and then didn't make it, you know, maybe in, in a week or two, it, it, it didn't survive, where would that child go? Spiritually, where would he go? You go to heaven, right? Because the child's alive unto God. It's alive. And so the requirement to get to heaven is you've got to be alive unto God. And, that, and everything of redemption, we don't have, I mean, there's no way we have time to talk about that in, in the next 30 seconds that we're going to be here, right? Uh, but the whole plan of redemption, everything from the Genesis chapter 3 to the, book of, to the book of Revelation was about getting the Spirit of God back into mankind. That was the, everything. It wasn't about sin. It wasn't about healing. It, wasn't about, uh, it was about getting the Spirit of God back into man. And he had to deal with sin. He had to deal with everything else. But the goal was, was to get God back into humanity, just like it was with Adam, uh, and allow it to stay. Uh, and so uh, when a child comes into the earth, they're alive unto God. And so the, the requirement to get to heaven is you have to be alive unto God. And you can do that up until some time. We don't know what the time is. Pa- Paul said, I was alive without the law once. So before I was mentally aware of that there's good and bad and right and wrong, I was alive unto God. If I had died at some point in that time, he would have gone to heaven. But at some point, and it really is dependent on, on the individual, at some point you will realize that there's a commandment. There is right and wrong. There is good and evil. And without exception, every human being has, has at one point said, you know, I know that's wrong. I'm going to do it anyway. Anybody ever done that? Uh, when you did that, when you were mentally aware enough to realize that's wrong, I'm going to do it anyway. Paul said that sin revived and what happens? You die spiritually. You are now separated from life of God. Now, what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, a man must be born again, right? He must be reborn, right? Well, why did he say that? Because he was born spiritually when he came into the earth uh, and then somewhere along the way, uh, sin revived. He became mentally aware that right and wrong, and he chose wrong, like every single human being except for Jesus has done. Uh, and then uh, you are separated from the life of God. Now you must be born again. That's why he said it that way, born again, right? Not, and, of course, Nicodemus didn't understand it was spiritual things. He said, can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, how can you, being a teacher of law, not know these things? Uh, and, of course, you know, I mean, I don't know how you'd know those things just from the Old Testament, right? Uh, but there's prophecies in Ezekiel and Jeremiah that talks about these things, right? Then we go over to Galatians and we find out more details about it. Uh, and so, so now the state of every human being after they get to that point, and we call it the age of accountability, but it's really different for everybody, right? Uh, and some people, some people because of uh, physical uh, abilities or, you know, maybe they have uh, mental uh, limitations, they never achieve that. You ever known people that are just adults, but they never really, they don't really know right from wrong? They're still alive unto God. If they died, they would go to heaven because they never really had the capacity to make that choice, right? They, and so they would still go to heaven. God's, you know, he's, he's a merciful God, right? He's not going to go, well, you're old, so you go to hell, right? I mean, 
Of course, he doesn't send anybody to hell anybody because who made the decision to do wrong? We did, right? Nobody made us do it. We chose to make that, do that thing wrong. So now the state of a man, after they get to the age of accountability, now they're separated from the life of God. If they died, they are no longer qualified to get to heaven. Now, God's not trying to keep them out of heaven. He wants them to come to heaven. That's why he wrote all of the Bible, to get people into heaven. Amen? Uh, and, so, and that's why he put the whole plan of redemption together, so that a man would then come to the realization, you know, there is a God, and I need to be born again, and I need the Spirit of God in me. And so now, uh, when I got saved, you know, I didn't know any of this stuff. In fact, I remember after I got saved, I mean, I knew to accept Jesus, but I didn't know any of these things. And, and I was witnessing to my, to my sister one time. I said, you need to get saved. And she said, saved from what? And I said, I don't know. That's what you're saved. You need to get saved, right? Anybody know we're supposed to get saved from? I mean, you know, I mean, I know now, you know, that's what we're teaching about right now. But I didn't know what. I mean, that's what you say. You're supposed to get saved. Uh, and really what, what, you're, uh, what you're really saying is I need to be born again. I need the Spirit of God back in me the life of God back in me so that now I am qualified to go to heaven. Uh, and, and of course, you get all the other advantages of that too, right? And so, so Paul said, sin revived and I died. So at that point in time, he died spiritually. But on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, he accepted the Lord Jesus, didn't he? And Ananias came, laid hands on him. He got saved, got filled with the Holy Spirit and got his eyesight back. And so uh, from wherever this point it was, he doesn't say how old he was when, when verse 9 occurred. But from that point, uh, verse 9 in Romans chapter 7 until Acts chapter 9, he was no longer alive unto God. If he died, any, if he had died anywhere in between those two periods of time, physically, he would have not made it to heaven. But thank God he, he got saved in Acts chapter 9, right? And, and got the Spirit of God back in him. Now he's alive unto God, and now he gets to go to, gets to, go to heaven, right? Uh, and so we've got to stop there, uh, but we're going to pick this up because we've, we've got to get to where we understand what's the, what, what happened when you got born again as it relates to the Spirit of God. What happens what, when you receive Jesus in that moment? Uh, and so, because you need to have confidence as a Christian of the Spirit of God in you, amen, uh, that you're aware that He's there and that you learn how to work with Him. That's the whole point of this teaching on the anointing is to learn how to work with the Spirit of God. But you've got to know that He's there to begin with, Amen. Uh, and, and um, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine. He, he goes to the first church of doubt and unbelief. And, you know, they believe in the spirit of God. Right. And, and um, uh, but they don't believe in anything. They don't believe in miracles or God speaking to them or tongues or healing or, you know, uh, prophecy or. Uh, and, and I said, uh, so uh, the Holy Spirit's in you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's in me. I said, well, so is he speaking to you? No. Is he. Uh, leading and guiding you in all truth and showing you things to come? No, no. Is he, is he speaking in tongues for you? No. Well, is the, uh, does he heal through you? No. And so I said, well, what's he doing? I mean, what, why is he there? If he ain't doing anything, why is he there? Because, you know, you ever have a guest who's coming and just not do nothing, right? And it's like, well, why are you here? You know, you don't want to talk to me. You don't want to do anything, right? Because he said he wasn't talking to him, uh, you know. And so he kind of looked at me like, I mean, you know, like, like a cow at a new gate. He didn't really know how to answer the question, right? But it was a valid question. What's he there for? Uh, he's there for a lot of reasons, amen? Uh, and so, so we'll pick this up because we want to we just go through kind of a summary of what the Spirit of God has done for you from the time that you received the Lord Jesus until the time that, you, you know, you're able to go and do the things that he's asked you to do because that's what we want to do, right? Work with the Spirit of God, uh, God working with them, amen? 
uh, and, uh, and that's for all of us, amen, not just for the pulpit, amen. Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for blessing us, Father, and giving us uh, the, the word of God to cause our faith to grow. We thank you that your spirit lives on the inside of us, uh, and we give you the praise and the honor for those things. And just real quick, with the heads bowed and eyes closed, and we just talked a little bit about being born again and about accepting the Lord Jesus, but if you've never accepted him, uh, and you would like to accept him, where he'll come into your heart, cause you to be born again, allow you to spend all eternity with the Lord in heaven, uh, and you've never done that, if you'd like to do that, if you raise your hand, we'll pray with you and pray for you. Amen. Get you on the way to heaven. All of us need to be on our way to heaven. Amen. Thank you, Father. Anybody want to pray that? Well, Father, we just thank you for this day, and, we, and Father, we thank you that as we receive uh, this morning's offering, that we thank you that uh, you'll, you'll bless us, Father. That we, it's such an honor and a privilege to give into your kingdom. And so, Father, we give you the praise and the honor for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right. Praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive this morning's uh, tithes and offerings. And um, I didn't even get to the first verse in my notes. So, um, but uh, uh, sometimes you get down these rabbit paths, and it, I, I like these rabbit paths. Amen. Uh, and so, um, so come ahead, Mr. Jared. One of the things that I appreciate about, about the gospel is the more that you study the Word of God, to me at least, the more that I study the Word, the simpler everything becomes, right? The, the, the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption, what the goals of Jesus were in the Old Testament and the Gospels and the New Testament. Uh, it, it's, it becomes really clear because if you put it, the whole framework of the Bible, everything in the Bible driving towards redemption, everything kind of fits, right? Because that's the whole point of the Word of God is to instruct us in what God has done for us, right? Through the, through the act of redemption. Uh, and so if you'll put that in that framework, then... Uh, then everything kind of starts fitting and making more sense, amen? And one of these days, uh, even the book of Revelation will make sense, right? And so uh, maybe we'll figure it out one of these days. So, um, all right, let's see. Don't forget uh, this afternoon at 3 o'clock we have healing school, right? And uh, come out there if uh, you want to learn more about healing. And um, uh, I don't think anything... Oh, there's still the vegetables in the back, right? So tomatoes and, and uh, some bell peppers and some good uh, homegrown okra, right? Uh, so help yourself to those there in the kitchen, and, and uh, you all be blessed, and uh, you're dismissed. <laughs>